0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back. In this episode, I'm very excited to share a conversation that I was able to have with Minneapolis's own Matt Patrick. For those that don't know, Matt Patrick owns and operates the Library of Recording Studio here in the Twin Cities. His studio has housed recordings from artists such as Raina Del Cid, Phoebe Cadis, and Corey Wong, as well as recordings from his own projects, such as Gray Coats, and my personal favorite, Mass. And none of these are to speak to the kind, energetic, and inspiring person he has to work with.
1: So, without further ado, let's dive right in. I mean, the first um, taste of, of full band tracking together was um, a record that I did down in Nashville in like two early 2000s. And um, it was the first time where I was like, oh my goodness, there is a, a huge difference between a bunch of people sitting in a room together creating something simultaneously Versus multi-tracking, where the drummer comes in first and plays a bunch of scratch tracks, and then the bass player comes in, and then you know, I've had drummers at the end of that process say, "Oh man, had I known you were going to end up there, I would have started with something different," you know, and um, and I always felt like that's a that's a shame (laughs) for the drummer, and (laughs) um, and and so how can we figure that out? And um, then I experienced it, uh, everybody playing in the same room. So when I When I started working in like pro studios up here, where it's actually a commercial location recording, um, I figured out a way to, you know, try and get multiple people to play. But I had a smaller studio for my first commercial recording studio, so it was like most of the people were in the tracking room. You're in the control room rather, and the the drummer alone was in the tracking room, and so it was just like, all right, bass is going direct. We'll put uh, uh. amp over in the corner where we'll cover it up with a bunch of blankets and cushions and coats and whatever we can find, uh, but it's still got loud in there, and then we're all playing in headphones um, just to try and attain that, you know, um, that vibe everybody creating at the same time. Uh, and then when I, when I, built the library out as a large enough space where I could have all of the rooms kind of facing inward so that everybody has a sight line to the drummer. And um, and it was for that sole purpose of the magic that happens when everybody is playing simultaneously, feeding off of each other, vibing off of each other, making a change in a moment's notice, or just by you know the way the bass player looks at the drummer and raises his eyebrows. Now suddenly he's like able to visually tell the drummer, we're gonna do something here, you know? And so um, yeah. I've never gone back, you know? Like anytime anybody has come in and said, yeah, I just kinda wanna piecemeal it together, maybe just get the drums. I'm always like, yeah, we can, but we're gonna miss out on the opportunity of this amazing magic that happens when everybody's in the room playing together. You just can't beat it. So when we did Reina's, uh latest record, Morse Code, um, that's exactly what it was. It's the sound of a room with a bunch of players in it, you know? and. Um, just vibing off of each other. And you can hear people smiling at each other as they're pl- making this music, you know? And that's invaluable yeah. to me.
0: Yeah. That's a really good description is like hearing, I don't know, that's something that I've always felt like you can hear when people mm-hmm. are looking at each other. Right. I like that expression of like, you can hear the musicians like smiling at each other. Right, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's literally audible in certain singers. Like you can tell when they're you can hear that they're having fun singing because sometimes you right. can hear people singing through a smile um, yeah the same I way mean, you, can, I, you can tell that somebody's smiling when they're talking you know it just, right exactly it, it, it creates something
1: yeah it, even if it's not a, a happier song I will often tell vocalists that I'm producing like just just like I say curl the corners of your mouth up like I want to hear it I wanna hear you smile, I wanna hear your tone get a little bit brighter, and it's gonna just, it's gonna make your pitch better, actually. Uh, it's gonna make you sound a little bit brighter, so it's just gonna sit in the track better, but you're just gonna sound like you're wanting to do this right now, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a—that's always a
0: good, that's always a good element of, of right. when you're making something. <laughs> For yourself, <laughs> a, a <laughs> right. passion project or something <laughs> right. to actually yeah, exactly. be passionate about it.
1: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so my Wikipedia page is um, is interesting because in, I I update the <laughs> recordings on there, and it's honestly it's just a way for me to keep track of of everything that I'm doing. It's a single place yeah. where I can go and go. All right, here's another one that came out, and so you know the world of music is is not that dissimilar from the world of film in that you know you've got an actor who's like, Doing these interviews for a movie that he shot two years ago, you know, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I should rewatch that movie before I go in and do these interviews because he's done or she's done two or three films since then, you know, uh, and yeah. several commercials and whatever." And so, it's a uh, it's a pretty similar thing for and, me and, in and lived, in that and I lived update life my in between all that exactly. You know, I I update uh, that Wikipedia page um, based on when an album is released, and so. Um, you know the Phoebe Cadis record may have been released in 2020, but we probably recorded it, you know, in late 2019. You know, and so um, so there's a, you know, it makes my 2020 look pretty busy, which I have been. I have been really busy, <laughs> uh, but it's more that you know 2019 is is. was a a good year, you know? And um, that's when people are are releasing their their music is now in 2020. Um, But yeah, I've stayed really busy. There's a bunch of projects that I'm super excited about. Um, There's a new Annie Mack. She's kind of a, a local darling. She's a soul singer but really loves that same organic, rootsy vibe of everybody just playing in the same room together. Really has like a Mavis Staples produced by Jeff Tweedy vibe, and um, which I I love both of those artists dearly. So it was a really good fit to have Annie Mack come in and um, Noah Levy from The Honey Dogs and so many other people. Um, played drums on it. Aaron Fabrini played electric and upright bass. Jeremy soccer played electric guitar. And then I played uh, acoustic guitar, some electric guitar, some Hammond organ, baritone guitars, percussion, singing background vocals, kind of filling in the gaps, you know. Um, but that album will be coming out uh, probably 2021, early part of 2021, late winter, early spring. Um, she's already had one single that was released and uh, was Song of the Day on The Current, our local radio station, so that was a cool thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, doing a ton of mixing for artists, too. I think with this crazy global pandemic, you know, I tell people you can't stop creators from creating. Even a global pandemic can't stop creators from creating, so uh, everybody's hunkered down in their homes and in their apartments. And um, they've got a microphone and they've got, you know, GarageBand or Logic or Pro Tools, and they're just creating and they're writing and they're expressing themselves through this crazy time. And so when they finish doing that, they try and mix it and they go, well, I think somebody else could take this further. So they they send it my way. And it's interesting, right when the pandemic uh, hit and our uh, governor, Governor Walls. Had issued the stay-at-home order. Everybody was uncertain about going out at all, so we were all like in lockdown mode. Like if we leave our house, we might risk paying a twelve hundred dollar fine or doing ninety days in the workhouse, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. which which ended up not being the case, but still, um, people had uh, people had to create, and so. When that happened, I had a crazy number of songs to mix. It was like, I think I had 40 songs to mix. And so for three weeks, I just brought my computer and um, monitors to my my house and set up a mixing station in my basement. And for three weeks straight, I was just downstairs mixing my heart out, you know? And then coming upstairs and having lunch with my wife and my boys, which is always great. Um, Missed those times. But I'm also happy to be back at the studio where I can be really super focused, you know. Um, But yeah, and so I've just been doing a lot of a lot of mixing for a lot of different groups. Yeah, I I do have a question about like the um, I guess
0: I have I have two questions. One is a little more uh, abstract, but the, the first one is is a little more direct. And that is when you talk about that magic of of being in a room and like that that excitement that you can't capture by having everybody come in and do their part one at a time mm-hmm. and then going back and, and changing it as the song changed. What I guess, because because there's projects like, like you were describing where the band will record something together, but then you'll add tracks afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that it's helpful to do something like that where the band is still together while you're tracking those, those extra parts, or is the energy of what was created in the room initially enough to like carry it forward? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you, how do you feel about like the approach after that, doing the additional stuff?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I feel like for my, my job as a, as a, both a producer and an engineer and a, and a musician, is to make sure that the outcome is everything that it needs to be. Uh, my approach is never to get myself to be all over a record just for the sake of getting my name on it. You know, I even tell my the my clients who come in like, you know, if if you want to enter into like some sort of co-writing thing with um with this recording, um, let's do it. But if you're like not into that just let me know and we'll we just won't even go there you know but there's times where i feel like ah oh, this this bri- this uh chorus feels like a bridge for example you know so let's let's move it to the bridge and let's let's together write a, a stronger hookier chorus you know if they're into that then great but if they're just not that into it for whatever reason I'm not, i'm not going to force it like my goal is not to get a songwriting credit my goal is to get the best song possible And it's the same with my productions, you know? Um, The goal is to have the best sounding record possible, and if the band is tracking together and it sounds great and there's nothing else that needs to be added, then I would be stupid to add something, you know? Then I'm gonna turn it into something that's just too much, you know? And so when I'm in that position of just kind of doing overdubs, I'm not doing overdubs for the sake of adding stuff. I'm I'm adding what I feel uh, is filling in those gaps, you know. And so for me, it's um, it's finishing touches, you know. Uh, if you're yeah. a cake baker and you just add icing to the cake, but there's no flowers on it, it's going to be a really dull, boring-looking cake, you know. And so, to me, I'm just I'm just putting some flowers on this. The frosting flowers on this cake, you know um, yeah. and I don't feel like the like I need four other people in the room while I'm doing it to get the vibe there you know the vibe's already been established I'm just enhancing it, you know, adding little flourishes here and there
0: yeah definitely yeah i I think that's a good um that's a good outlook on it too, where it's not. It's not so much going in afterwards and being like, "All right, what else can I add?" But more so, you're probably yeah. adding things afterwards that you felt in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. like things yeah. that you know, if it's three people recording, you maybe all felt like there was something else that could have been there to add to what was going on, but since there were mm-hmm. three people, it's just like you physically can't do that right so so then you go in afterwards, but it's not like this tacked on thing right it's it's a it's a it's an intentional and contextual thing.
1: Not to mention there's just so many variables, you know, like the budget is a huge variable, you know, so like we have enough budget to hire drums, bass, and electric guitar, and I still need to engineer it, but the way that I operate my studio as a musician is, I have an hourly rate and you get the full of me for that rate for everything that I do. So if I'm if I'm engineering and producing and I'm also playing I don't charge people extra for the playing part I'm already here I'm already working if I throw on a bass or I throw on a guitar or I pull up a keyboard sound or I you know run in and play piano or organ on something I'm not gonna charge you extra there's no hidden fees you know I'm not a hidden fees guy at all <laughs> what you get is what you get with me and that goes for mixing and if I do mastering or whatever like it's just my hourly rate is my hourly rate. That's what I feel my value is, and that's what I want people to pay. It doesn't matter what I do. And so, you know, like this Annie Mac record, that's exactly the case, where we had budget f- to make a five-song EP to hire these three dudes, and they're gonna come in, and they're gonna, like, play their hearts out and and really put their whole soul into it. But I really did want Hammond organ on some songs, and I know that I can play Hammond organ and since I have a producer mindset I'm just going to be filling in the gaps and not overplaying so it's going to be faster and cheaper and at times more effective because i I'm a back in the weeds player you know i don't I don't really want to look, play parts that say look at me you know I want to play parts that just make it feel right you know so yeah. um, that's just one of many, many variables. You know, where you just can't afford it, or this, this is this is what we have in the moment. You know, I, I had a,
0: like I remember this conversation actually pretty vividly. But I, I had a conversation with Robin Morgan, Rob, Robin Morgan, Rob. God, uh, get your editing I'm tools editing. ready. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I'm, I'm definitely editing that one out. <laughs> and I'll make sure to, to beep out all my swears too. <laughs> I had I, I he was one of my first people I had on this podcast. God damn it, I mm-hmm. uh. <laughs> love Robin. I love everything oh, she I does. Lo- Robin, Robin's such a great gal. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I I had this like around the time I I met Rob and we were both playing at EBC together, and he was talking about the that same sort of idea of a lot of um, the best whatever tracks whether it be bass tracks, guitar tracks keys tracks, a lot of the best tracks of those instruments are not from those like players you know a lot of the greatest keys tracks aren't by keys players a lot Mm -hmm. of those quintessential parts that I think of when I think of like really well recorded and well thought out parts on records it's songwriter, producer types who also do those things. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's through the lens of, of the producer mindset. And I think that there's, there's something really to be said for, um, how that could influence a person's playing. Totally. Um, because I think it's, it's definitely changed ever since I started to, you know, self-produce and, and, um, compose on a daily basis, like it. It's changed everything about how I approach guitar, which was my only and my main thing before. Um, it's it's completely changed how I approach that. It's never because it used to be even I think even even though I thought it wasn't about me, it was always about me mm-hmm. <laughs> as a as a guitar player, as a musician um, but having had a taste of that producer mindset, it's like, oh well, it's never about one person it is, it is if it's like if you're one person on a stage doing a performance but if it's five people on on that stage then it's about
1: the five people on stage totally i think also you know everybody plays within their limits just by nature. You can't play outside of your limits, you know? <laughs> I'm not able to do that. Therefore, I'm going to try and do it, you know? Like, no, especially when you hit record. Like, the red light is on. It's already freaking you out, you know? And so, you have to play within your, lim- within your limits. Now, there are some people whose limits are vast, you know? The Steve Goulds of the world, that dude is kind of limitless when it comes to drumming. He can do anything, but he's, um, Seasoned enough that he knows that what he should play is different than what he can play, you know, and so uh, In a different way like you're gonna get a better Hammond organ part from me because my limits are so much smaller (laughs) And I'm just I'm you know, I like I'm not gonna try and show off because I don't know how so I'm just gonna kind of like block chord, turn the Leslie on and off, play with the draw bars a little bit, and then maybe like peek my head out once in a while and go, here's a little lick, but that's all I'm able to do, you know? Mm-hmm. When you have somebody who's got like uh, limitless abilities but not seasoned enough to know that they should be playing less, then you have this recipe for disaster because they're just gonna like forget <laughs> about the song and they're just gonna like, Showcase their abilities and you know their limitless abilities, um, and now they've covered up all of the vocals and they're they're basically making a solo record with somebody else singing on top of it. You know, in that regard, I think it's it is better. <laughs> it can be better. Yeah, I think it's it's almost you get the same,
0: you almost get a, a similar outcome between really like those those limitless boundary type people mm-hmm. who are very very seasoned mm-hmm. and people who have really sm- like really tight constraints but their but their their mind is focused on the composition exactly. you get really similar outcomes because the outcome yep. is still doing exactly what the song is demanding yep to to be complete and yep. i think that's there's there's a little something to be said for that too of like not i was talking with um, I was talking with Justin Charbonneau about this a couple weeks back of like mm-hmm. the the idea of picking up an instrument and just making sounds with it because you like the the way it sounds or right. the way it looks or mm-hmm. or the way or like what the name sounds like. yeah <laughs> you know, right. like there there's there can be any reason to just like become infatuated with an instrument, but that concept is is I think something that is really. There's something powerful about that because mm-hmm. if you're if you're playing an instrument just because you love how it sounds, you're not clouded with this knowledge of how to show off with it right. or how to be impressive to other people with it or how to be attractive with this cool instrument. Mm-hmm. Your your only ability is. Your interest in it, really, right? And I think there, I think there's something like really
1: powerful about that. Sure. I mean, I run into it all the time. I, you know, my studio is called the Library, and I literally have a library of crazy, weird instruments around here. And, um, you know, so somebody will walk into my control room, and I just picked up a banjo and played banjo on a tune because I felt like it was the appropriate sound. And they go, "Oh, I didn't know you knew how to play banjo." And I go, "Well, I don't." You know, I mean, like, I figure out <laughs> where my fingers should go and then I record that, you know, I memorize what what that positioning should be and what those chord patterns are and I play it for that. But I don't even, half the time, don't even know what chords I'm playing. I just know what sound and what um, lines I wanna hear and what style of picking I wanna hear. And and so, I'll, you know, people ask me, how many instruments do you play? And I go, well, you know, on, at a very basic level kind of all of them you know like i can anybody can pick up any instrument and make it make a sound so and with that regard i could play all of them but i'm really just a guitar player you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's my main instrument but i'm not afraid to grab any instrument and figure out how to make it make a sound and you know there's times where i've even taken a slide whistle and tried to make a you know, uh, like a theremin melody by, you know, playing that slide back and forth and trying to make it, you know, no. like it doesn't just go you know, you can make it actually like, if you could find the notes and play it and do vibrato and make it sound like a theremin, you know? But most yeah. people just think of a slide whistle as a funny clown toy, you know? But you can actually make music <laughs> out of it. You can play a melody on a slide whistle, but nobody thinks of it, you know, so. Pick up any instrument, figure out how to make noise with it and make noise with it, you know, limitless Mm -hmm. freedom. Yeah, I think that's I think that's so cool. Um,
0: I I tried to learn trombone when I was Mm -hmm. in. So I played I played tuba in high school and I tried to learn trombone for like a week. And there there was I think some people they I can't remember if if they like put some sort of mark or they tape almost like you would on a violin for like beginners where Mm -hmm. the frets would be. Mm-hmm. Um, that type of thing, but I'm imagining that on a, on a slide whistle, <laughs> but yeah, I love how just not knowing or not being an expert can in a way be, because I don't know, I used to think about like, well, it'd be nice to someday be in this position where I know that all these instruments and I, and I have a studio space so I can just like have no boundaries as far as the music making process goes. Um. But sometimes I think about, like, what if I became a somewhat competent drummer? Not to say that I, you know, maybe someday I do, but, like, I'm not, I'm definitely not now. But if I did, that would completely, it would give me this ego to protect. And I would be less, I think I would just be less ambitious when it came to writing, even when mm-hmm. I'm by myself. Because I would feel like I have to do things well, and I would be scared to Things poorly, you right? Know, but sometimes just being willing to try anything, and all of it's going to be poorly at first. Um,
1: mm-hmm. That that that's really like a freeing thing, for sh- especially so. in the studio when you're like, hey, just just take the chance. If it doesn't work, then we just delete it. You know, especially in the age of digital recording, just try it out, if it doesn't work, then (laughs) we'll just mute it. It's no problem. I was working on a record uh, for Ben Rosenbush and the Brighton and uh, Zach Miller was playing drums and he wasn't necessarily hearing like a traditional drum beat on this song, but he wanted to do something creative. He's also a magnificent uh, piano player as well, Um, but he still wanted to hear something percussive, so he did what's called um, like found piano, found object piano, where you'll take like a screw or a paperclip or whatever, and you'll actually take the screw and you'll screw it into the strings of a piano. And then when you hit the key, it does this crazy like resonant overtone thing that sounds like a a drum, you know, with a head on it, like boom, boom or metallic, you know, like the screw will shake in the string and make it go like buzz a little bit or something, you know. So he screwed random things and put paper clips on, um, on, a, on the piano strings. And um, then, uh, you know, so he was playing this kind of like crazy found piano thing. And then um, and then Jeremy Olvesocker was playing guitar on that session as well. And he was thinking to himself like, well, I'm not really hearing guitar on this either so he like went well you know Zach's in the piano room I don't hear a drum beat either but like some mallets on some drums with like a sizzler on the ride cymbal could be cool in this one moment so he just like set his guitar down we were in the middle of tracking and Jeremy goes over to the drum kit and he's not a drummer he would tell you that but he wanted the sound of you know mallets on toms and this kind of sizzler cymbal and he just played it during the bridge, and we all looked up like, whoa, where, where's that coming from? Oh, Jeremy's over on the drum kit. <laughs> since <laughs> since Zach abandoned his post and went over to the piano, then Jeremy's like, well, I don't want to play guitar. I'm going to abandon my post and go over to the drum kit, you know? And so, like, there's just amazing, endless freedom in the studio. And, you know, Jeremy got drummer credit on that tune on that the Brighton record, you know? And Zach got <laughs> piano credit, you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Back, backtracking a little bit, my
0: my more abstract question that I sort of had in mind was, um, you talked about how a lot of the 2020 projects are, you know, in essence, they're 2019 projects because yeah. you know, just because of the nature of it, it takes of when it takes time. Um, but, but I guess the more abstract question is like, what what do you think 2021 is looking like? For your studio, yeah, because um, you know, I think everybody has found or tried to find some sort of new normal uh, in in the light of just how the world has changed, and um, I'm curious what that new normal for you is is creating in 2020.
1: Right, so you probably will see a lot more just just mixing credits uh, in twenty twenty one when these albums actually get released or these singles actually get released. There probably will be more, more singles. Um, I always kind of denote that it's a single or an EP or an album or whatever on that Wikipedia page. Um, there have been people still coming in. I had. Uh, one artist who came in to do a full record, kind of in the middle of it, um, and brought in, you know, Zach Miller and Aaron Fabrini and Steve Bosman's played on that one. Um, but she, you know, she had a, a budget for a full album, and even though we're in the middle of this pandemic, she's like, "If you feel comfortable with us just all wearing masks in the studio all day, um, let's just let's just go for it." And so we had three days in a row of me producing and. Doing a little bit of playing, and um, so yeah, so I've got that will be coming out. This Annie Mac thing will be coming out. Um, lots of singles, lots of lots of mixing. There'll be no shortage of uh, like it won't it won't be like ten things that I've put on the Wikipedia page for you know releases from the library or that I've done uh, every year leading up until next year, and then suddenly there'll just be this you know big empty space. Um, but the, it'll just look a little differently
0: just out of curiosity is the the Annie Mac record that you're talking about is that um, cause you took video of I wanna say it was Aaron Fabrini
1: on Steel mm-hmm. that was a magical video
0: is that that same record that's that same, that same record yeah yeah
1: okay if um I don't know if you play snippets of anything on your podcast but she did release a song called Shadows of a Kingdom and that was um that was the one that was the current song of the day I would love to How do you spell how do you spell her name? It's uh, Annie A-N-N-I-E M-A-C-K. Okay, C K. Yep. Cool. Man, I'm ex- I'm excited for that now. Cause yeah,
0: watching that that cause I didn't know that Aaron Fabrini played more than
1: bass. Oh, I only man. know him as a bass player. Oh man, he is a fantastic <laughs> pedal steel player. <laughs> it was it was magical. Yeah. So, I mean, both Aaron and I have a deep profound love and appreciation for Daniel Lanois' productions and Daniel Lanois' songwriting and Daniel Lanois' musicianship. And he is a pedal steel player, but he plays pedal steel unlike anybody you've ever heard. If you haven't heard Daniel Lanois play pedal steel, you need to just go to YouTube and just type in those three words and have your mind blown. Um, And so Aaron actually purchased a pedal steel just because he was so moved by the way daniel Lanois plays it and so after he got his steel guitar he uh spent a couple weeks trying to figure it out and then he learned one of my favorite daniel Lanois steel instrumentals and i remember him just sending me like a voice memo recording of him he's like hey check this out you know i'm not trying to brag but i'm pretty proud of figuring this out and like my jaw actually unhinged and was just hanging there (laughs) I couldn't believe how he was like able to to make it sound exactly like the way Lanois plays and so I had already been using Aaron for any time I need to hire a bass player I mean 9 out of 10 times it's going to be Aaron the other 1 out of 10 is going to be Uh, Ian Allison, for sure. (laughs) But but yeah, Aaron gets first dibs. He's one of my best friends. We've been working together since the late 90s um, on recordings and playing gigs, and so he's just a really, really dear friend of mine, so of course I'm gonna give him as much work as possible. but he's been on more recordings than anybody, especially since he picked up the steel. Because if I if I didn't get him in on bass because the client already had somebody else in mind or you know whatever, then um, then there's a pretty good chance he's going to come in and still sneak his way onto the record playing pedal steel.
0: Yeah, he's. I also love. Um, so I've only, I think I've only played with Aaron once or twice. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I did one one weekend and then I did like a. Uh, It's like another random uh church thing with him and Mm -hmm. (laughs) he always just like he he does one of my favorite things which is like plays so excellently and then just doesn't regard it as anything totally (laughs) anything serious yeah um it's just like one of my favorite uh i guess attitudes yeah towards um towards a person's own like musicianship Totally. We walked off. We walked off after doing because I mean, church is usually like three, four, maybe five songs,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we walked off. And he was like, "Well, we did it." And it was a particularly short, <laughs> short set. I think we only did, <clears throat> I think we only did two songs. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Man, we did it.
1: We played two songs." <laughs> I love that about him. Yeah, and you know. he he is such a he really influences everybody else around him, which I love. We, he was actually in here yesterday. For in a really interesting session, we were here recording things for uh, the sake of trying to create something that we want to recreate later, not for the sake of recording this thing to mix it and release at all you know um, you know it's the church that I play guitar at Westwood and so they've obviously like every other church they're, they're thinking about Christmas, Uh, services right now and so a bunch of the musicians from Westwood came in and like all right we want to do joy to the world we want to do okomi faithful you know just pick three kind of standards but we want to do them in a modern way and we have no idea how we should do these we just have some references that we want to listen to um, you know like Japanese house you know like that kind of thing more electronic kind of sound and stuff Billie Eilish um, Feist kind of made it into some references. So we just listened to these tunes ahead of time, knowing that we're gonna play Joy to the World, and then just go out and just kind of figure out a cool vibe, a cool mood for it. And um, and Titus Decker, who also plays in my band Greycoats, uh, was playing keys for it, and he was the one who kind of set up this whole thing. It was kind of his, his idea, his brainchild. And he's like, I wanted Aaron here because I just think that he has such a great mind for chordal movement and anytime anybody's gonna go, let's just go one, four, minor six, five, back to one, he's gonna go, no, 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 let's go to the two first and then, you know, like he's always got like the fresh, just more interesting ideas and approaches to, um, his mind just thinks so good arrangement wise. and. So it's part of the reason that Titus wanted Aaron here was just so he could he could utilize that muscle that he flexes so well. Definitely.
0: So I mean I I have to I have to bring this up just because it's I'm a fanboy, but I want to talk about the mass record a little bit. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> part partially because uh you know we we talked a little bit about it when uh I was last there and mm-hmm. and it like it never it never really like exploded. Pretty much every musician that I've talked to who knows about it, like working musician, mm-hmm. uh, is like, oh, my God, that record's amazing. But pretty much anybody else hasn't heard of it. And mm-hmm. so I have to, like, introduce it. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, evangelist marketing, which is a term I just recently, <laughs> I just recently
1: uh, <laughs> discovered. Well, um, thank you, brother, for going door to door on behalf of mass. <laughs> we, we appreciate it. You go out and evangelize. How does a
0: record like that come about? Be- because you guys are because you guys are all like very busy musicians. Right. You're all very. Um, it's like you've all got quote unquote better things to be doing, right? Because you know it's like we're all musicians and we we make money doing this, and so why why take you know so much effort to to this passion project? But I'm glad you guys did.
1: <laughs> right. Well, you know that's an interesting way to perceive it uh, because it was kind of birthed out of that very notion. Nephew, who's the guitar player, and Steve Gould, who is the drummer, were out on tour with Owl City, and they were playing these huge arenas all over the world. And everybody else in the band, after they sound checked, had better things to do, like go back to their hotel room, or go grab a bite to eat, or they wanted to go walk around Taiwan. You know, <laughs> and uh, and Jasper and Steve are just well what's the better thing for us to do we're in this arena and we have carte blanche to do whatever we want to do and what we want to do is take advantage of this because it might not ever happen again so let's just play and so night after night after the band got off the stage they would just sit there and jam in an arena (laughs) with the sound on and just make stuff up you know and it wasn't jamming the way like modern people do, you know, jamming like funk jams or jamming like free-form jazz or jamming like spoken word. It was just, we're just playing music and what comes out comes out. But it definitely had a vibe to it because Steve has a vibe and Jasper has a vibe. And so after doing this on several occasions, uh, Steve had the notion like when when we get off tour, we should call up Matt and go into the library and, and see if we can capture some of this stuff. You know, heck, maybe he'll even play along. And so uh, he scheduled two days in the studio. And um, I love the idea. I adore them as people as well as musicians. So are you kidding me? I get to... I get to not only record, but to play along with two of my favorite people and musicians in town. And um, so we just recorded for two days straight. And it was, most of it was just kind of off the cuff, just, there there was one tune that Steve just literally started playing a drum beat, and Jasper started playing a thing, and I had to put my ear up to my bass with the volume knob turned off and figure out what key he was in. And for the next four and a half minutes, we just, found a vibe and went with it, and did very little overdubs. So some of them were completely off the cuff. Some of them, you know, in between hitting record, uh, you know, we would we would talk like, oh, I've got this kind of idea for an A and a B section, but then it in the moment it felt like it needed to go to some sort of bridge or some sort of C section, so like I would make a choice on the bass or on the Fender Rhodes or on weird samples to just push it somewhere else, and then they all just followed in the moment, and we pretty much kept that stuff untouched, you know? If I added anything later, it was just like a little bell melody on top of what Jasper did, you know, or something like that. Or brought my friend Snugs in to do a a rap over one section, you know? Um, But a lot of it was kind of, just kind of left as we did it, and um, that was the beauty and the magic of it, and so it was birthed out of this well, we have nothing better to do with our time. let's just let's just grab a hold of this moment that we have and make something special out of it. And it was really special. So let's try and capture it when we get back into town. And we did, and that was special, you know. And um, and then we played one concert at Bauhaus and um, and there was a great turnout, and that was really special. And it was so fun to kind of recreate all those moments that were, that were recorded in just a, a two-day period you know
0: there there's something just hearing you talk about that makes reminds me of um i was i was listening to uh, a lecture about the like the process that, they were talking about picasso but they were just in general talking about the process of making it a piece of art and this concept that any piece of art is a it's a An accumulation of the process like it it has the process embedded into it it's Mm -hmm. not just this you think about something like a a a painting and this person was using um, a film a Picasso film as a description where Picasso was painting on glass and the camera was behind it so you could see what he was doing and he would sort of sketch Mm -hmm. something out and he'd I don't like that and he'd wipe it away or he'd sketch mm-hmm. something out and then wipe that away and he would just mm-hmm. e- like you saw the process being mm-hmm. embedded into this work and I think that that's I don't know just hearing about like um them sort of coming up not not coming up with an idea for a project or even like a, an art piece um but just having the notion of like Riding that energy of like, well, we want to do this, so let's just mm-hmm. do it, and then that sparks an interest in something, and and that all sort of that is embedded in the final product, I think, in a, in a big way. Yeah, um, I think you do in the in the same way we were talking about, like hearing people smiling right. while making music. I I think you you definitely hear that that attitude of of people exploring and or venturing mm-hmm. out to find something in the music. It has mm-hmm. kind of this this exploration about it. Mm-hmm. Because it, it in some in some ways it's it's a little bit avant-garde um and in some ways it's very uh alternative or indie as as like but it yeah it's it's this huge like exploration as as a as a soundscape in my right. opinion.
1: Right. Well, I think that any recording is a sonic snapshot of a moment in time, you know? And so, that's that was the goal from the outset is, you know, we we felt really good in these experiences of being on stage and just vibing off of each other and just, you know, creating these moments that we both just really were excited about. So, I wonder if we could go into a studio and take a snapshot of it so that we have it to listen back on. The goal was never to, let's release this so we can try and make a bunch of money or so we can gain some sort of musical notoriety, whether it be local or, or otherwise. Um, the goal was to take a sonic snapshot of this thing that they'd been doing. You know, We just wanna document it. And so that was the goal. And then after two days, we were like, this is pretty good. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if people would listen to this, you know? And so I just mixed a little bit in my free time. I mean, it took a long time for it to finally be finished up and and released cuz I was just I was just so busy with other projects. Um and it was a passion project, you know? So um in my free time when I had some to spare, I would mix and add stuff or bring my buddy in to rap on it or whatever and so um yeah, the goal was again just to just to have a documentation of this music, not to try and make ourselves look or or gain any sort of monetary anything, you know.
0: Yeah, it's almost like um like scrapbooking, yeah. but in an audio sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just a a way to remember. And I think there's a um there's an article that I read a long, long time ago by, by John Foreman from Switchfoot, and he was talking about how songwriting for him, in some ways, is the art of letting things go. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a similar aspect to um, what what music, uh, like what songwriting can be for different people, or the process of recording. Mm-hmm. You know, For him, it, it, it's like he describes this this concept of of having all of these ideas or all of this built up energy about a topic or something and the process of getting to like actually write and build a piece of art around that is getting to like it it, in some ways it can be I think a coping mechanism but it's a way to like truly process whether it's trauma or like social unrest or like wrestling with concepts about you know your existence and things like that it's like a way to actually like move your life forward it's not just this you know art art can be vain but it's not always vain like art serves I think a deep social and like societal purpose in in that Mm -hmm. You can remember something from it, and in some ways, I think you can like choose to move
1: on from something or commemorate a, sure. a moment in time. Well, the music is like soundtrack to our life, you know. And so, like, whatever might have been going on in your life when you first heard the Mass record, now when you listen to it, you're nostalgic to those times. You know what I mean? <laughs> Even if it's subconsciously, you know. And so, that's the that's the power of music, is you know. Steve and Jasper just wanted to, wanted to document this experience and then in turn, you listened to it and were really moved by it. And now you're nostalgic when you listen to it and it becomes a soundtrack for your life and is the background for you know great and terrible events in your life, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I'm like down to my second cup of, or I'm almost done with my second cup. Mm-hmm. I had two cups at home and then went to have breakfast with Matt Berry and had about four cups there. So I'm about six cups in. How is Matt Berry? He's good. I haven't seen him for two years. And I hadn't seen him in forever either, but now he's at Westwood, which is the church that I'm at. And he's oh, there yeah. he's there part time. So yeah. That's so great. he was here as well yesterday. Um, recording with with those folks and I play with him at least two or three times a month now so yeah I see him all the time he and I go way back we used to get together and have breakfast I mean once every few months for several years and then life got busy he had a mess of kids and my world (laughs) got crazy and studio and personal and all that stuff and so we hadn't done it in a long time and now our our paths have met yet again, so he's good. I'm happy he's back in my life.
0: Yeah, I think uh, definitely knowing guys like Ian and Justin Charbonneau, like I personally haven't experienced it, so it hasn't it hasn't like um, it hasn't really manifested its its meaning to me. But I, I do have some understanding that the world of music is way smaller than we realize. Um mm-hmm. the the world of like working musicians and like songwriters, and there's there's different circles of of different types of musicians, but they all overlap in 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 some in some ways here and there, but yeah. that that overarching like network of people who do this is mm-hmm. is, is like really small. and mm-hmm. I don't know I, I I love that because you know, sometimes I think about like, oh, well when, when will I ever work with this person again, or like, when will I ever come across this person's path? Ah, oh, it's probably it's such a far-fetched thing to even think that this would happen. But then, mm-hmm. you know, occasionally you talk to somebody, it's like, oh yeah, I've I like I toured with that person, or like I right. I I texted them the other day, or you know, and mm-hmm. you're just like, wow, this world, this world of of working musicians is so small in especially in um, the age we're in, where like we have everything at our a a disposal to like stay in touch and Mm -hmm. now in 2020 where everybody has to use those things to stay in touch the world
1: has just gotten so small in the best way and it's not even just music circles you know like you can pick any friend uh that you're facebook friends with go to their go to their facebook page and look at mutual friends and every one of them you'll be shocked that you have a mutual friend that is like outside of so many different circles you know um how do they know that person? That's just insane or you know even when it comes to to music you know I've been here at the library for 12 years now and um, somebody will post a photograph with some comment about you know working here with me on an upcoming recording and um, they'll, there'll be some comment from somebody saying like, oh yeah, I love that studio, I've, I've recorded there before, and then I click on them and I'm like, oh yeah, that that person was here like nine years ago and did one project for just a single afternoon, but it left some sort of mark on them, you know? And, and um, they say that they love this place <laughs> when they recorded here for one afternoon nine years ago, you know, <laughs> I love that. When do you think that you started to realize
0: that because you say 12 years, at what point do you think you and things don't happen overnight right? But do you think there was a moment when you kind of realized that the library was becoming this institution, I guess? Because I think I think it really you may not think this, but from an outside perspective, I definitely when I hear the library or when I when I see things that happen at the library, I'm like, that's the place. For Minneapolis, that's the place. Hmm. Um, was there kind of like a moment that you, or a project maybe, where you realized like, oh, this is kind of becoming a um, a hotspot?
1: Yeah, I mean, not necessarily like a specific project, but it's like you hear these rumblings from other people, you know, or, you know, like when... Corey Wong is producing the Phoebe Cadiz record. You know she she's British, so she came over here from England and walked in and like immediately gave me a hug as if she knew me, and just said, "Oh, I have seen so many pictures and so many videos of this place. I've just always wanted to be in this room." And I remember at that moment, just like, wow, this place is so much bigger than I even right now was thinking it is. You know, when somebody can fly across the ocean and say they've always wanted to stand in this room is really amazing. You know, Um, I never, I never expected that. Um, You know, for me, it's always just been like, my goal is never self-serving. My goal is just to, to create and to put out work that I'm pleased with, and I just always give everything that I can to every single project, regardless of how much I like the music or not. I would say that again and again and again. You know, it doesn't matter if it's some crazy death metal band, which I literally just finished one of those a couple months ago, um, or, you know, some modern indie group, you know, that's like the The hot new thing you know Um, it doesn't really matter to me I'm just gonna put my head down and I'm gonna work and I'm gonna make it sound as good as I can and so I think there are a lot of people who are like pursuing this self-indulgent it's all about me and I got to get my name out there and kind of in a similar way as is mass you know like our goal was not to become you know this widely known musical project Um, the goal was to document the music and my whole recording career is all about that like I just want to document people making music and I want to do it the best way possible you know within my means and within my own limitations again you know and so um, and it always happens organically so Corey Wong and I had known of each other for years, leading up to him ever even stepping foot into this place, You know, just because by virtue of us living in the same town and having the same basic career path, you know, we both do music for a living. And so uh, he came in here for a session. He had kind of recently started playing with Wolfpack, but hadn't really done a ton of his own solo work, and um, came in here and was just hired as a guitar player for a project. And he's like, hey, I need to leave my amp here because I'm playing on another thing here tomorrow for a totally different artist. I'm like, yeah, sweet, that's great. So two days in a row recorded Corey Wong playing with two totally different artists, two totally different musical styles, and he fell in love with this place. We got a great working relationship. We think really similarly um, about music and everything. and. Uh, then when it came time for him to want to do some recording, he wanted to come back here and work with me. And so it was a very natural, organic... He'd already done some work with me. We got along great. He loved the room. He loved the vibe. So he just wants to come back in and record some record some stuff here with me. And then uh, wanted to bring Phoebe in here and, and do the same thing. So I never sought out... Corey Wong to record here. I never sought out Phoebe Catis to come here and record. It just organically happened, and that's the way that it it should happen. The whole time, I'm just like, head down, move forward, make music sound good. That's my job, you know? (laughs) Whatever I need to do to get that job done is what I'm going to do. I'm not really thinking about, like, What's my final outcome with this? Like, oh yeah, Corey Wong's here. I better shout it from the rooftops that I'm actually worth coming and recording here because this guy did. I just don't care about that stuff. You know, I honestly don't. My goal is to get great-sounding recordings. I don't care who it is. Absolutely.
0: I love that. I love that too. Of like, um, I mean, that's definitely something I've I've heard uh, Ian sort of like try to really really um <laughs> for lack of a better term sort of preach at me mm-hmm. uh because i because you know he's a very passionate guy totally and uh you know i'm i'm like 20 years younger than he is and so he's like you should figure this out like get this because it will help you um mm-hmm. as soon as possible and it's don't compromise doing your thing or working mm-hmm. the way you work because Um, that only benefits you not not only in the way that you get to do something that's genuinely making you happy but it by nature is going to bring you into situations and into career relationships with people that want to do that same thing or want Mm -hmm. to work alongside you and and build camaraderie with you and um I don't know. I hear a lot of that in, in the stories of your projects is, is this, you know, people are doing their thing, uh, whether it's, it's you bringing a project or somebody bringing a project to you, it's, it's people doing their thing. And that by nature of, of that project coming about brings people to it you know it's mm-hmm. never it's never people trying to like assemble the avengers team right. and we're going to make this and we're going to make the ultimate like we are going to make the the best record as if it's a competition you know um, right. and yeah. as if it's a as if it's a, a thing you can put metrics on because it's right. art you know and it's it's just it's people doing something that satisfies an interest or satisfies a some sort of catharsis, I guess, yeah. in some way, some mm-hmm. human need to do this artistic thing, this creative thing, and it just sort of brings other people to it that are also interested in that. I don't know.
1: Yeah, you never know how things are going to come back around, you know, not just in the musical world, but in your personal world, you know, like, I was talking to a guy and he's like, yeah, I saw you play in, a, in this certain band that you played with back in, like, you know, 1996, and uh, and I was like, oh, crazy, what show were you at? And he's like, oh, I was at this show. I actually came up to you and tried talking to you, but you were kind of a jerk. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, oh, 96, <laughs> yeah, I was going through some stuff. Shoot, I was probably, I probably was a jerk back then. You know, I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> but I ended up being like somebody who was really close to me later in life, and you never know like, the outcome of a relationship, whether it's musical or personal or, you know, anything. And so you have to treat each recording project the same way. Like, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. I I just finished an uh, EP for a guy named Ben Brandt, and he's got a real, like, great Fleet Foxes kind of vibe. Um, it's really, really beautiful stuff. Um, He's a worship pastor at like a mid sized church locally and he wanted to bring in some of his friends to, to be the players on it um, but he didn't have a bass player so I ended up playing bass on it and we needed a drummer so Reese Kling came in and played drums on it and um, he's just released one single last week and then he released a new single today and um, I'm really proud of that recording, but he wasn't the type of person that I thought, oh, yeah, this, this guy's gonna be like a career singer-songwriter guy. Um, but just yesterday, he sent me a, a screenshot of an email exchange that he had with... Um, I think it was Jim McGuinn at The Current, who's like their basic music programmer, and he said, thanks for sending your album. It just came across my desk. Man, this is beautiful. When you when you're ready to release this album, please let us know. We would love to spin it. And so, in my mind I could just say, "Well, here's another like local church, mid-sized church worship guy releasing his singer-songwriter stuff and, you know, it's not going to make huge waves, therefore I should care less about it." No, the opposite is true. I don't care who you are. I'm going to put Every bit of passion into every single project that comes across my studio desk, you know, and in hopes that it just does great for them. And there's a situation where, wow, the current got a hold of it. He sent it to them, and they said we'd love to we'd love to spin it. And so, my goal is to treat every single recording that I produce or engineer or mix or whatever the the case is, um, like every radio station is going to want to play it. It doesn't matter who they are or, you know, where they're yeah. at societally or any of that stuff.
0: And I, I like, too, that you point out the opposite is true of what uh, I think we, a lot of times, will default to as, you know, as people who do this for a living. Where it's like, well, my time's valuable and so I have to, and my energy is valuable and I only have so much of both of those things. So I'm going to allocate that to things I find more you know, quote unquote, more important or more mm-hmm. profitable, whatever, whatever that like, however you define that. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying the opposite is true. It also goes against uh, the the idea that there's only so much room for like the successful people. And I think the right. more the more I'm the more I'm immersed in the culture of local music, but also just on the grand scale of of just people who have a desire to make music actually just doing it is that mm-hmm. there is room for, I, th- I think that there's genuinely room for every single person who wants to do it, to do it, for sure. Because in some, it, it at varying degrees, at like these infinitely varying degrees, whether it's 10 people, 100 people, or like millions of people, there's somebody out there who wants and is interested in the thing that you're creating. Mm-hmm. Um, And especially now, where the world is so connected, like you have a much, you have a much greater chance of eventually finding those people. The more you do your thing, Um, but I yeah, I like that attitude of of the opposite being true. Of of you know, you you do want to treat those with just as much of your care, attention, energy, um, because it's not like there's limited real estate for great projects right there's infinite space for those great projects
1: yeah or or that it's even possible to be like oh, Corey's, Corey Wong's here, I'm gonna actually make this sound better than I normally do. You know, like, that's such a ridiculous notion, you know? Like, oh, I'm, well, I'm gonna turn the knobs better then, because he's important, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or he's got more notoriety than person X, so I'm gonna turn the knobs to make it sound better, you know? Like, no, I have yeah. my skills and I bring them, you know? It is funny to me, though, how there are some, like, I've received some emails from people who, you know, maybe they're new to the Production process or whatever, but you know, I've I've literally had emails where the where the person said, uh, you know, how do I audition to to possibly be selected to work with you at the library? I'm like, (laughs) there's no audition. (laughs) You just tell me when you want you want to come in and record, and if I have time in my schedule, then you come in and record. You know, (laughs) but it's just funny how some people just that they think that I'm like a like a like an A&R guy or you know I'm a scout or something you know <laughs> trying to only bringing in the best projects here at the library it's like no yeah. I, I just I do my best work regardless of who's within these walls. That that
0: also too reminds me of my friend Stephen Helvig who who runs Drop Tone yeah, out I in Excelsior and uh, he, he one of the biggest things that he kept telling me because I was always like you're here Five or six days a week, you're here for ten or twelve hours a day, Um, and the projects vary greatly from Mm -hmm. you know like a lot of one-off clients to you know big uh, full-length band projects that are going to be played on the current and things like that, Um, and you know the the range from that to stuff that like maybe will never be heard. I'm like, Mm -hmm. how do you even? stay on top of like managing your energy, managing your, your stamina because like you only have so much, you're a right. human. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, one thing that, that he really taught me was that your, your energy, your motivation or your inspiration levels, you know, has nothing to do with how good, or has very little to do with how good of work you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you are as a person you're and as a as a, a creator you are this like accumulation of all of your experience and all mm-hmm. of your skill sets are that like your skill set doesn't go away because you have a day where you're like ah I'm not really feeling it or I didn't get to grab coffee or like those things I'm not going to say they don't make a difference but they make a very little difference as as to like as compared to like what we think they do, right? Um, and and he definitely taught me that just because you're having an off day doesn't mean your skill set is gone. Now right. you still do good work, and mm-hmm. I think that that you know what you're saying definitely reminds me of that. Is is that in a way? Um, I mean, you you can just choose to phone it in and obviously do worse work. That's that's not out of the realm of possibility. So it's important right. to like stay, you know, on top of it, but. Um, the, the beauty of it, too, is that the, the work that you do with, you know the quote unquote a listers is the same work that you do with everyone. right you know Your, yep. your skill set is your skill set and and mm-hmm. it, it never goes away just because you're you're tired or you're not you're not feeling you're not feeling this divine inspiration. It's like you still right. have the power to make something beautiful.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that I would add to what Steven has said is you need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself outside of work. Like, even though, like, I play music and the word play is in there, and so, like, some people think, like, oh, all you do is play, lucky you. You know what I mean? It's still work, but I but I do get to play, which is, which is awesome. <laughs> um, but I don't work 16-hour days. I don't hardly ever even work weekends because I value my time off. I value my time with my wife and my two boys. Um, I value getting a good night's sleep, you know. I value spending time with good people that I love and, and eating good food and, you know, playing with my kids. You know, I value that stuff. So, I feel like it's diminishing returns if you end up going 12, 14, 16 hours in the studio, like, why bother? Call it a day, come back when you're fresh, and you're going to play better tomorrow anyway. So I'm pretty much a consistent 9am to 5pm, Monday through Friday, only recording studio guy, and feel fortunate that most of my clients can work within that time frame. Um, But I don't know, I think that people appreciate that I value that time off and they know that I'm gonna give them my best when I am here for those eight hours per day. Um, and if I'm here for longer, I'm not gonna give my best. So why would you want not my best? So yeah. take care of yourself outside of the time that you're within the walls of your work, whatever you're doing.
0: Yeah, almost to go back to an earlier point, it's like that That by by nature is drawing people to in into your circle of people that you work with who appreciate mm-hmm. that, that that is your workflow that you mm-hmm. do value that time away to then benefit your time totally. in the studio. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that's I think that's unassailable.
1: Mm-hmm. And there are certainly there are certainly projects that, you know, the artist comes in and I just go this one's going to be trickier. But that's okay. You know, like it doesn't matter uh, what your vocation is. If you're a dentist and somebody comes in and they just have these shiny white teeth and they've never had a cavity and there's nothing for you to do other than to give them a good cleaning and send them on their way, that's an easy job for you. Then somebody comes in and their mouth is messed up and they've got cavities and they've got abscesses and they've got you know rotting out teeth. Well, you're gonna have to sweat a little bit more for this one. You're going to have to put in a little bit more time. You're going to have to be too close to this person with terrible breath for much longer <laughs> than you care to be. It's still mm-hmm. going to be tricky, but you don't just go, well, this sucks and have a bad attitude about it. You just go, no, I want to make this person's mouth better. And that's yeah. the goal, you know. So yeah. some days are harder than others, but I still love doing what I do. I still feel fortunate that I get to do what I get to do. I don't take it for yeah. granted. And I also know, And somebody said this to me a long time ago, they were like, we're at, you know, this is another record producer, local studio owner, engineer, like we are in the business of making people's dreams come true. And I was like, wow, that feels so lofty and there's a lot of weight to it, but I was like, I feel like I wanna carry that weight, you know, like I've had clients come in the door that literally saved up every, every penny that they've ever made in a tip jar at a gig, you know? And like, here's my $4,000, can you record me with it? And I like very graciously grab onto that $4,000 and go, yes, I will make you the best possible record I can make with this $4,000, you know, or this $400 or this $40,000. Like I'm gonna do my absolute best for you in this, you know? Um, right
0: man i have really enjoyed this i'm glad yeah. that we got a chance to to make this happen and
1: and you have license to do whatever editing to this stuff that you want to do so
0: i'll i'll clip your i'll clip your audio to make you say all
1: sorts of atrocious <laughs> things <Yeah>. you're gonna <laughs> rearrange my senses so i just make no sense at all yeah <laughs>